Hi, and welcome back to I Didn't Sign Up For This. You're on episode nine, which means we're almost to double digits. I can't believe it. I'm Christy Sturm. I'm your host, and I'm really glad you're here for this new episode. Um, A little bit of housekeeping before we start. Um, Just a reminder, we are on Facebook. The Facebook page is at facebook.com, I-D-S-U-F-T podcast. And from there, I mean, that's where all the news and, you know, what's happening, what's coming up, that's all going to be there. And then um, on that page is a button you that will take you to the group. And the group is where I'm hoping to develop a community where we can all talk about not only the episodes, but what we're going through. So come on over, join the page, hop on over, join the group. Um, Get involved, start a conversation, join a conversation. We'd love to have you. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at IDSUFT Podcast. That will always be where you can find us. And we are on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play Music. I didn't sign up for this. And you'll search for that. Look for the little teal-colored logo with the clipboard and the big word no and that's us subscribe um if you feel like it and i'd love it if you did pop on over to itunes and give us a five star five stars and a great review (laughs) we'd love that Why, why do i keep saying we it's just me here there's no we it's just me um so do that or on any of your favorite podcast apps You can just search for I didn't sign up for this, find that little teal logo, subscribe, and keep up with with us there. Okay, um, before I start, I want to lay down a disclaimer. Today I'm talking about PTSD as a special needs parent. Now, I am not a psychologist. I have zero advanced degrees. Well, I have a bachelor's degree, but... um, but nothing in any psychology field or how trauma or difficult experiences affect us or how the brain processes any of it. Um, All I have are three children who have provided numerous experiences that have been epically difficult and one child with whom I I would describe and have described living um, as being a type of war zone. Now, don't misunderstand. I am not saying that my experiences can even begin to compare with being in a war zone or working in a prison, which my husband actually did do for a number of years. So, you know, he's got the comparison there. Or, you know, anything that's typically associated with PTSD. But in my attempts to get help when I've needed it from actual professionals, this term has come up numerous times, and I think there's value in that. First, let's look at this. A PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder, is medically defined as a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event or events, either experiencing it or witnessing it. Symptoms can include flashbacks, nightmares, and severe anxiety, as well as uncontrollable thoughts about the events. Most people who go through traumatic events may have temporary difficulty adjusting and coping, but with time and good self-care, they usually get better. If the symptoms get worse or last for months or even years and interfere with your day-to-day functioning, you may have PTSD. Now, I can remember when my therapist first brought this up as something I might be suffering from, and 
Y'all, I laughed so hard. The thought that being Henry's parent would have left me with PTSD, like some war-hardened veteran or someone who's been through a horrifyingly traumatic experience. I mean, it was just hysterical to me. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it leaves me often totally exhausted and searching for peace or serenity on a, on a soul level. And yes, I've learned that when I'm around him, I have to be pretty constantly on alert for flying objects, hands and feet and headbutts and hair pulls, knocking over the food I'm trying to feed him. You know, I've learned I can't ever just be relaxed and around him because you never know when some thought or instinct is going to come over him and he'll just smack you in the face or whip his arms out to push the jar of pasta out of your hands, making it dump all over your chest and lap. But that isn't anything like being shot at or having to be hyper aware of enemy lines and enemy fire or witnessing a 20-car pileup with body parts laying on the highway or something like that, right? Wrong. And a quick Google search of PTSD in special needs parents is going to show just how wrong that is. I got over 12 million hits, you guys. This is a thing. Yes, it might present differently than it does in soldiers and Marines or disaster victims. It might have different symptoms, and it might affect us a, li a little differently, but it's real. And I think we need to be acutely aware of it and how it can manifest in us and how we can get the help we need. You see, just as there are thousands upon thousands of different people with special needs and by extension, multiple thousands upon thousands of people who care for them, work with them, and love them, there's probably that many different ways that these loved ones experience PTSD as a result. Because every one of these people come with their own issues. It's a true spectrum from medical fragility, which requires multiple surgeries and hospitalizations, or constant monitoring with alarms, extreme lack of sleep, that's on one end, or the other end with less in life-invasive issues like learning to read or work with money or dealing with IEPs or simply trying to figure out how to get your loved one the interventions they need to be the most successful. It's all traumatic, and it starts on day one of discovering your loved one's needs. Honestly, you know, I, I don't think it's any less traumatic to hear that your loved one has a lifelong issue that will forever affect their ability to adapt to our world than it is to hear that it's time to load up and engage in a potentially dangerous situation. Yes, there's the possibility of death in the second scenario, but for many who care for people with special needs, there's the possibility of death as well. What if this necessary surgery doesn't solve the problem? What if there's a complication we weren't aware of and things go horribly wrong? What if all the alarms and monitoring and nights without sleep aren't enough and that loved one slips away? I know it isn't your own death, so that's somewhat different, but especially in the medically fragile subsection of the special needs community, this is a very real possibility that they deal with every single day with no respite. There's no downtime when you get to relax and not worry about it right now. It's constant, it's ever-looming, and it requires an ever-vigilant mindset. You just don't ever get to think, we're safe now. Nothing will happen now. Can you imagine that? I mean, I know I can't. You know, I know I deal with it 
if I had to, but I haven't had to, so I can't truly imagine it. However, I actually know parents who do, and my mind can't wrap itself around what they deal with every moment of the day. If that doesn't cause PTSD, I don't know what would. But again, that's one subsection of the special needs world, if you will. Most caregivers aren't dealing with issues that immediate and severe, so they should be fine, right? Mm, I can't agree with you. If you've been following my podcast, you've heard me talk about what we deal with day to day, whether it's just going out in the world with our loved ones or handling their educational and therapeutic needs or God help us navigating the systems that were put in place to help us get what we need for those loved ones, but it seemed to be rife with hurdles and blockades that prevent what they're meant to provide. For those of you who are parents of neurotypical kids, as I am, I have one who is completely neurotypical, I know we all go through so many of the issues of worrying about those kids. Are they getting what they need? Are they progressing emotionally and educationally and physically in the right way? Are, are we providing them the right opportunities to grow and learn and express themselves? Are we overscheduling them or missing out on opportunities they should have? As parents, we all go through this stuff, and we worry about making the right decisions to help our kids grow into the best adults they can be. Now, imagine that your kid can't do half of what's out there, or they can't tell you what they're interested in or what they'd like to do or try. Or if they could, they can't do or try those things because they aren't capable of it. Or if they are capable of it, there's a worry that they won't be accepted into it because others might not think they're capable or those others might be afraid to let them try because they're different. Imagine that your worries about providing them the right opportunities to grow and learn and express themselves are complicated not only by knowing where those opportunities are and how to access them, but also by figuring out if they're accessible to your loved one and how it might fit into the additionally necessary therapies and medical appointments that help them talk and walk and use scissors and work adaptive equipment, communicate in any way. The list is endless. Imagine the stress that's on the shoulders of caregivers who are trying to give their different children the same opportunities your children have access to, but within a much tighter set of parameters and requirements. Imagine the additional stress of trying to figure out how to afford the adaptive equipment your child might need just to live in the world. Things like wheelchairs, traveling medical equipment, hearing aids, glasses that can't be removed or broken, leg braces, technology to help them speak or communicate, someone always having to be there with that child to do whatever it is with them. That <laughs> Their children can't be dropped off at a park district program or you take them to the park district program and they go in by themselves not an option. So what do you do if you can't afford it or you don't have the health insurance to help with the cost? You go without. And then you have the stress of knowing that your loved one is forever additionally handicapped because they didn't even have what they needed to keep up with the other kids like them. Live with that stress every day and you've got to have a form of PTSD. 
humans aren't created to carry around these levels of stress for a long period of time. We bend, we, we snap and we fracture, and sometimes we break. All I can give you are anecdotes from my own life with my son, who is lucky enough not to have the majority of those barriers or problems. He doesn't need medical equipment. He doesn't need a wheelchair. He doesn't need communication devices. He needs someone with him all the time, but all these other things he doesn't need. Instead, Henry presents with behavioral issues that create a different sort of PTSD. For us in our family, it's the inability to ever be truly trusting of him, to never be relaxed or vulnerable around him. Yes, we have other stress causers like the IEPs and the crushing worry about his future, but for us, the main cause has been his behavior. Ever since he started the whole throwing thing, it's been that way for everybody in our house. It's visceral. You can see it on everyone who lives here. I've watched it happen, and it breaks me. There's my daughter. She's the oldest. And then my eldest son, and then Henry, and then my youngest son. My daughter and my eldest son, at least, had some time in a normal home before Henry came along. They had a taste of what it was like to not have to be constantly vigilant. My youngest son never has, and it's crippled him, I think. My daughter and my eldest son are still able to have love for Henry. They knew him back he, when he was just squishy with a capital S. That's what we called him, squishy. And he was unthreatening and just a big potato of love. And they had the benefit of the behavior issues starting slowly and being able to slowly modify themselves to it. That doesn't change the fact that they don't trust him, though. Still to this day, if Henry approaches them, they flinch. Their arms will go up in a defensive posture to prevent him from hitting them in the face. They don't like to sit with their backs to him. They want to be able to see him coming, so they're prepared. The youngest boy... He never had that chance to slowly modify himself to Henry's behavior. By the time he was born, Henry was in full shrapnel mode. He's never known a house or a life where he could trust Henry or feel safe around him. And therefore, he can't stand him. And that's understandable. If you grow up from day one in a house where someone is unpredictable or violent or can hurt you and you can't hurt them back and you're expected to love them, but every interaction that you have with them ends up in you getting hurt. You are naturally going to develop negative feelings about that person. It's like you know, living with an alcoholic parent who gets violent when they're drunk or an abusive person. You are constantly on guard. And the only time you can really relax is if they aren't around and can't get you. If you have to be around them, you're angry about it and you're tense and you're stressed and you're always waiting for the hammer to fall or in our case, for the book to hit you in the head. You know, <laughs> I've tried over the years to joke about it, you know, to try to bring levity to the situation, to maybe lessen how negative it is, but it's just bullshit. There's, that's, you know, the, the, the family member trying to minimize the violence of another. And, you know, the only thing I can tell them is that it isn't malicious. Henry isn't angry with them or trying to hurt them or anything. He's just interacting the only way he can. But how does that make it okay for the other people? It doesn't really. So instead, we have a household full of people who are constantly vigilant and prepared to deflect incoming fire. 
you know, I always joked that my kids are the best at dodgeball because they're used to books flying at them, which actually isn't really funny. But, you know, that's what you have to do to get through it. Gallows humor, you know, that that's what people do. I feel terrible for my youngest son. I want him to love his brother, and I know Henry loves him. But he can't love someone he can't trust. So instead, he's developed all this pent-up anger that's created behavioral problems for him. Because nothing is ever fair, like, Henry hit me, I should be able to hit him back, but I can't, so now I'm fucking pissed. When he does get angry, like at school, his natural inclination is to completely freak out because all the pent-up, unexpressed anger at his brother comes out in in conjunction with the lesser anger of the moment and creates this totally overblown anger response. Thankfully, we've been able to get therapeutic intervention for my youngest to help him learn tools for managing his anger. And along with the classroom setting he's in and the help he's receiving at school, he's learned a lot and he's maturing into being able to better manage his feelings appropriately. And at home, we've given him permission to do whatever he has to do to deal with Henry, short of hitting him back. You know, find a place in the house that is just yours that you can use to get away and relax and not be vigilant. And he has that. If, he, if, if you think Henry's going to hit you, grab his hand. You know, don't let him hit you. Stop him. You're allowed to do that. You can go upstairs and punch the shit out of your bedding. And for him, seeing us reprimanding Henry more for the unacceptable behavior has helped too. It helps to have him see that we're holding Henry more accountable for what he does. And it shows him that we aren't okay with it and that his feelings matter just as much. For me, my PTSD is strong. No one in the house has been on the receiving end of more of Henry's behavior than I have. From hitting and kicking to scratching, you know, I still have scars on my hands and my arms from getting scratched. Um, Love attacks that... (laughs) are kind of painful you know all of it he throws things from the back of the van and hits me in the back of the head while I'm driving usually it's nothing serious just like his pacifier it's not like he's throwing an anvil at my head he'll pound on my arm while I'm feeding him I'm surprised I don't have a bruise there I really am because he hits hard while I'm feeding him, he'll try to knock the food off the table and then um, if he's able to do it while I'm cleaning it up he'll kick me He'll grab my glasses off my face or slap me or kick me in the gut. There's a lot. And then adding to that is the stress of hearing that he's hurt someone else somewhere. And that's a lot to field. I have it. I know I have it. And to be honest, when my therapist presented that point to me, it was almost a relief. That's why I feel so tense all the time. That's why I can't sleep well. That's why I'm constantly exhausted. And the thought of having anything else to do makes me want to die. The smallest additional stress makes me want to pull off my skin. And it actually, very often, makes me start scratching my arms till they bleed. That's why if I feel attacked in any way, I come out fighting like a mink. Uh, Look that, look that shit up. Oh my God. If I honestly feel like someone is coming for me, I start screaming at, screaming at them. It's like the worst possible Real Housewives episode. It, 
it, it hardly ever happens, but I can think of two times it has. And when I think back on how I acted, I'm just shamefully embarrassed. But the stress of being come at when I didn't expect it turns me into a rabid animal. And I think in part because I'm always at an, like a level eight anyway. Just living my life, I'm at a stress level eight. So when additional gut level stress comes in, I'm like Nigel Tufnell's amps. I go to 11. I have fingers in faces. I'm screaming. I sound like a loon. It's horrible. I lose my shit. And then I have the additional stress of having to deal with a fallout of that, which usually involves a full-blown panic attack where I can't breathe and I can't stop crying and I'm on the floor and the people who love me are terrified. Once that subsides, I want to vomit and die because I have to apologize and I have to deal with the cleanup and that's more stress I can't handle. I don't know what to say. This is real, you guys. This is as real as it gets. So many of us spend every day standing on the precipice with no way to come down, no way to ask for help, no way to find respite. We're doing everything we can just to keep going. And we're just waiting for the next panic attack and we know it's just around the corner. We're, we're like one camel's hair short of completely losing control. We're on the brink of tears and we have a fight or flight reflex that is second to none. You know, it's like in those movies where the pilot is chasing an enemy or is approaching a target and they flip up the little button cover that keeps you from accidentally launching the missile or firing. Our little button cover is always up. That's how we live. With our protective covers removed and our missiles are active and live. So what do we do? The only word is help. Find help. Whether it's respite care or therapy or counseling or talking to your doctor, get help. Our bodies and our minds are not meant to be on constant alert. We can't go for months and years with our nerves raw and our fingers on the button. When your doctor asks how you are, tell them. Tell them you need help. Tell them you feel like you have PTSD. Or, you know what, better yet, don't wait for them to ask. Tell them and ask for references. We have to be able to talk and vent and let out the stress in order to keep functioning. We need professionals to help us manage this stress and find time for peace and find the ability to breathe, even if it's just for a small time. I don't know how many of you have moments like this. When you realize you're not breathing, <laughs> not really breathing, you might catch a really deep breath somewhere and you realize how badly you needed to breathe. That happens to me quite a bit. Even if I can take 10 minutes, like right before I go to sleep, and focus on breathing deeply and consistently and like re-engaging with my body, it helps. But honestly, find help. Find resources and professionals to get hooked up with. We are caregivers to people who desperately need us. That's true. But we're also human beings who are separate from those loved ones and we need to care for ourselves. 
to best care for them? Sure, great. But also because we deserve to be as healthy and functional and able to manage our stress as possible. Sure, we're strong and capable and we're conquering the world for our loved ones, but we aren't superheroes no matter how much the world wants us to act like that. And nothing makes me angrier than this idea that special needs parents are superheroes because we aren't. We are human animals who also need. So, please make sure you're taking care of those needs for yourself. Don't minimize what you're going through or taking on. Don't ignore the signals your body's giving you. And, you know, if the only way you can do it is to tell yourself that by meeting your own needs, you're making sure that you're the best self you can be to care for your person, then do that, whatever it takes. Please love yourself as much as you love them. And now, it's time for I didn't sign up for this. Um, This is not a funny story. I chose this one for today because it fits in with the topic. For me, this is an example of a, an episode that created PTSD for me. This is something I have flashbacks about. This is something I still to this day think about and it makes me sick to my stomach and it takes me right back to the feeling and this happened in 2000, November of 2011. It was on a Saturday. And at that time on weekend mornings, Henry, well, <laughs> Henry wakes up early. Well, Henry wakes up early every day. On this day, I let him out of his room and I took him downstairs and I set him up with what he wanted to watch and some books and some Cheerios and a pacifier. And like always, I would double check that everything's locked and I'd go upstairs and go back to sleep. As always, if he needed me, he he knows where I am and he can come in my room. And usually at this point, my oldest son was always awake and downstairs doing his thing. So at about 11 a.m., my oldest son came in and woke me up saying, there's a man at the door who says you have to come now. I wasn't sure what that was about. So I grabbed a robe and I ran downstairs and there were two police officers at my door. Panic. Do you have a boy with Down syndrome named Henry? One officer asked. And all I could think, all that ran through my head, was, oh my God! You see, apparently, Henry had decided to unlock the front door, walk out of it, and wander around the neighborhood in his pajamas and bare feet in November with no supervision. Some wonderful, wonderful neighbors saw him out their window and they went outside to investigate and they realized he had Down syndrome, so they called the police. Since Henry couldn't tell them his name or anything about himself, the police had to canvass the neighborhood until they found someone who knew him, his name, and where he lived. I threw on my shoes and ran over to the neighbors where Henry sat on their couch and he was playing with a toy and surrounded by their family and charming them as he always does. I walked in and as soon as I saw him, I was like, Henry, what are you doing? He didn't respond to me. 
I walked right up to his face and I was like, Henry. He finally looked at me and he went, he grabbed me and he snuggled in. He goes, oh, mommy, I'm sorry. Of course, I lost control. And, you know, I'm trying to answer all the, everyone's questions while I'm crying. I was terrified that DCFS was going to be called. But thankfully, that didn't happen. Because I felt like the worst mother ever. Like, since Susan Smith's worst mother ever. I took Henry back home and sat there crying for about a half an hour. And then I called my dad and he brought over and we installed a chain lock immediately. I thought at that point I was going to have um, install like a new deadbolt that has like a key on each side and all that. But those aren't really um, recommended because what if the key gets lost and then you're like, whatever. So what we did, well, we... What what happened was we have you know the deadbolt the thumb it's just a thumb bolt and he was able to open it and yes the door was locked but he didn't even have to try he could open it just you know barely and just walked right out so we got the um we got the chain lock and that that has been that's wonderful he can't he can't reach it and even if he could reach it he doesn't understand how it works so at this point. It's still good, though I'm certain at some point we're going to have to get something a little more serious for when and if he can reach and figure out that chain lock. I I, I can't express the terror. They're just, he could have been abducted. He could have been hit by a car. He could have just continued to wander unseen by anyone till he was good and lost and he never would have found his way home. It could have been tragic. I am thankful. Every time I think about this story, I am thankful that it wasn't. Because a lot of people out there don't have a happy ending to a story like this. I do. But you want to talk about PTSD? I don't think I'd ever be able to forgive myself if anything had happened to him, ever. So anyway, that's my story for this week. I wasn't expecting this episode to be quite so... But there it is. Um, This is real. This is rough. And this is what we deal with. These are our days, and these are our nights... And these are what we worry about. And all I have to say to finish this off is take care of yourselves. If you are one of my listeners who is a special needs parent, do whatever you have to do to take care of yourself. Get help. Find community. Vent. Whatever. Scream. Cry. Let the stress out. And find professionals who can help you. Thanks so much. That's it for this week. I just want to um, just remind you, come on over to the Facebook page. Again, facebook.com slash 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 IDSUFT podcast. Join the group. Come on over. Let's talk about this. How are we dealing with this in our lives? Jump in. 
ask a question. Share your I didn't sign up for this story. I know you've got them. Let's, let's do this together. Thanks a lot and have a fantastic week.